C.S. Lewis writes is about Aslan. He's not a tame lion, but he's good. I thought, ooh, I like that. Makes me think of God. Makes me think of our Christianity, our faith. Our faith. We should, be, we should think we're not tame, but we're good. Christianity's not tame, but it's good. God's not tame, but he's good. And, and I poked at this for a couple of years, but I want to poke at it again today and say, our faith in Jesus Christ is, first of all, spiritual. It's not natural. Now, we want to, and I'm kind of wired up this way too, we want to package all that stuff more natural, you know, so it's more um, comfortable for, you know, us human beings, how we see things, and we, we just want to package it nicely. But you can't package God nicely. He's bigger than how we want to package him. And so our Christianity is, first of all, it's spiritual, it's supernatural, it's powerful, it's dynamic, it's amazing. And so I want us to think about our faith like that and not just, oh, it's just a little something I said a little prayer for and got involved in this organization. Uh, the kingdom of God is much bigger than an organization. And so I want us to think about how, how big God is, how big our faith is, and how amazing it is and how powerful it is. And, and I think about this. I think, you know, you, you read the, the Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the start of your New Testament, and you re, you're following around Jesus, and you're following around the life of, of his followers as well. And then you move into the book of Acts, and Acts is a 40-year written documentary of the move of God on planet Earth. And it's power, not just the apostles, but power-packed with people doing exploits for God. And then I think about all that, and I think, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Jesus moving in power, his disciples moving in power, and disciples went beyond the 12 as well. There were 72 and then 120, and there were people always out there doing things. They even came back and marveled that they were doing the same thing Jesus was doing because Jesus told them that they would, and he told us that we would. And so this is a powerful thing. And then you look at the book of Acts, and haven't you ever asked your question? How did we go from that to this safe little religion called Christianity? How do we go from that? I mean, if, if, you, if you think, what, isn't this? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, and you go, wow, the church was designed to be powerful and influential. You, you look at, at God, and you think of the miraculous power of God. God is born of a virgin. Okay, can we all just say right there that's either an absolute lie or it's spiritual and supernatural, because that's not natural. God is born of a virgin. He wraps himself in a human body. He does exploits. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He casts out demons. He cures the most dreaded disease of the day, leprosy. He walks on water. He takes a few loaves and fishes and multiplies them to feed thousands and thousands of people. He, he does all these exploits. And how, how are we going to tame that? Let me, let me challenge this. Let's not tame it. Let's not tame that. This is, this is what God brought to us. Let's not tame it. So he's got all this stuff going on. And then we see the power of the Holy Spirit poured out in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2. And let me tell you what, it's not tame, but it's good. The power of the Holy Spirit comes. The place where they're gathering is shaken. Cloven tongues of fire appear on their heads. They begin to speak in other languages that they had never learned. There's a crazy thing going on. 
Peter, who's been cowering in fear, out of fear of the Jews, you actually read that in Scripture, all of a sudden, endued with power, kicks open the doors of the upper room, preaches to an assembly of thousands and thousands of devoted Jewish followers, and 3,000 devoted Jewish followers give their lives to the very Jewish Messiah, Jesus, on the day of Pentecost. I don't know too many people that preached their debut message and won 3,000 people to Jesus, but Peter did. Pretty amazing. So we, we see all of that, and we see that the church then is birthed. That's the day the church is birthed, Christianity is birthed. And we should have not this tameness, but this goodness in us as we take all that Jesus did out to the hurting world. Because you start watching these guys and gals, and they're out there doing just what Jesus did, raising the dead, you know, curing leprosy, uh, healing the sick, uh, casting out demons. They're doing all these crazy things by the power of God. It's not tame, but it's good. And everywhere the people of God went, you can read this in the book of Acts, everywhere they went, there was either revival or a riot. There either was a, a transformation of a city, or the city sent them packing out the, the, out the city gates. But there was never nothing that happened. There was always something that happened. So Jesus made all kinds of supernatural, spiritual, kingdom-advancing claims about what he would do and about what we would do if we believed. Anytime the kingdom of God was stagnated, anytime the kingdom of God was not penetrating, anytime the kingdom of God was not being effective, there would always be this theme on Jesus' lips. Now, it's challenging to all of us here, myself included. There would always be this thing. When the kingdom of God just stagnated, you would always see Jesus experienced it personally in his own hometown. And when he looked around and saw he could not do many mighty works in his own hometown except heal a few sick folk, and every time I read that, I think, man, if we healed a few sick folk, we would think we were on top of the world. Jesus considered he was at the bottom of it. He could not do many mighty miracles, but heal only a few sick folk, and he marveled, was astounded at their, does anybody remember? Their unbelief, their lack of faith. He marveled at that. So every time the kingdom of God's not being effective, it's not penetrating, it's not making things happen, these are... This or something like this will come off of Jesus' lips. Why didn't you believe? Oh, faithless and unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? Everything is possible to him who believes. He marveled at their unbelief. And, and it's said many different ways all throughout Scripture. You find these words off of Jesus' lips. So I believe that it's time to believe again. And so we're going to talk about that today. Believing for miracles. Believing for miracles. Wouldn't it be so nice that they were so common that we no longer even called them miracles? Because we call them miracles because, wow, it so seldom happens. I tell this story, and I laugh at ourselves, but it's really sad, too. But I remember my aunt, when church I was raised, we prayed for sick people all the time. Probably any church you've ever been in, there's usually a prayer time. And they'll say, well, let's pray for... Aunt Gertrude, she's got this going on, my brother here, and my uncle there, and my sister here, and, you know, Elder Don and, and uh, Deaconess Sally, they got these problems, and so we're praying for sick people. Well, we did that every week, too. Here's something, though. One day, my aunt comes forward, she has cancer, and she's in horrible shape, and so we pray for her. My pastor was a little radical. He actually, now, hear me clearly, 
It was not a charismatic or Pentecostal church. It'd be very similar, United Brethren, very similar to what you would think about uh, a Methodist church, except we believed in baptism by immersion and Methodists will sprinkle. That's about the only difference between churches. So just so you get an idea of what the church was like. And we pray, he said, let's, let's just anoint her with oil and lay hands on her. And uh, it's like, okay, well, hey, we're getting out there. And so we did that. She goes to the doctor and comes back gloriously healed. And I'm not joking about this. It's, 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 it's happy and sad at the same time. I say this every time I mention that story. Nobody was more shocked than us that she actually got healed. It's like, wow, we, we don't even know what to do with that. So the only thing we knew to do is what we did. We just rejoiced. But it was, we prayed for the sick, but we didn't really believe anything was going to happen. We all knew God could, but would he? And our experience said, nah, he probably isn't going to. But we still felt obligated to pray. So we're believing for miracles. Now I know, I'm not naive, you're not either. Everything in our lives hasn't always worked out like we wanted it to. We had prayed some of our best prayers and People still been sick. We prayed some of our best prayers. Marriages have dissolved. People wandered from the faith. Businesses have failed. Projects and dreams have gone under. Uh, things have been aborted midstream. And some things stand as monuments that mock us of failure or disappointment in our lives. Years ago, Crossroads was on the move. His birth to get it going had a lot of momentum going. And then all of a sudden, things happened. And bam, everything slowed down. And beloved Charlie Berkman, for those, I call myself an old timer here too. For those of us who are old timers here, you'll know Charlie Berkman. He, he worked, he loved, he served, he gave. His, his hand is on about every nail and corner in this facility, this, this campus. Actually, I think being out here in the middle of nowhere, we call this campus. This campus that's out here. And he had such a heart for the ministry. And we were standing in this building one time, and it was just an empty hole. Nothing was done in here. And he didn't say probably these exact words. This was what he was saying. This, every time I come here to church, I, I see this building, and it's like a testament of our failure. It's a testament of, of thwarted dreams. It's a testament of, you know what Proverbs says? Proverbs says, hope deferred, hope sidetracked, makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. But there's something I want to tell you. He and I were standing in this building looking at an empty hole. And I don't know if you've got to be around here for a long time. We used to play volleyball and stuff in here, and it's just concrete floor and, and bare. It was very interesting, the echo pattern that was in here. When you talked, you would hear it three times. It would just keep on going. So it was very interesting to try to communicate in the building. But you know what I know from standing in the middle of this building, having that conversation with Charlie Berkman, something I want to speak into your life? It ain't over till God says it's over. It's not over till God says it's over. And so we just trust God. You keep moving forward. Who hasn't had hope deferred? But hang on because the longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So we believe for miracles. I remember there was a flicker of hope that began to rise. And, and uh, by the way, this isn't me. This is God and, and the people who were here before I was here. But there was a time where the entire church budget of Crossroads Community Church was $29,000. I'm talking, you know, staff, insurance, building maintenance, uh, heating, air, electric, you get the idea, Sunday school materials, you know, office supplies, $29,000. And it wasn't being met. 
But God began to cause a little trickle of prosperity and abundance to come, and then that turned into a stream. And, and also, this, this is something interesting, <clears throat> and I'm happy with this. We've never had what you would call deep-pocketed givers. Now, some of you are very generous in your giving, so, you know, don't get mad here and go, well, why do you call me? Okay, you're a deep-pocket giver, okay? But, you know, some churches have those people that they, they give a million dollars a year to, couple million dollars a year they're they're deep pocketed there's a problem with not there's not a problem with it. in fact I welcome that if any of you want to start doing that it's not a, not a problem but what happens when the person moves on what happens if you built your whole ministry around a single person or a couple people who give you know deeply there's a problem because when they're gone all of a sudden your budget goes back to like a real budget but God is able and so there's that trickle of momentum and things begin to thrive and come alive and, and, and grow and, and have life to it. And now we're sitting enjoying this room right here, the one that Charlie and I and many of you who have been around forever stood in and played sports in or basketball or, or volleyball. And it's a longing fulfilled because it's not over until God says it's over. So keep your heart alive. Keep your heart alive with faith. It's not over till God says it's over. And when God says it's over, it's over. <laughs> but until then, we keep moving forward. Even prayer. Now, now I don't want to get into a super controversial thing here. But even prayer can change the heart of God. I know we can debate about all that. And maybe I'm not saying it properly. But there's many times in Scripture where God said, this is what I'm going to do. And somebody prayed. And it diverted the course of God. Now, I don't think that caught God off guard. I get that he knows the end from the beginning, but something happened because someone prayed. So Jesus is speaking here in John 14, 12 through 14. I think we need to start asking ourselves a question every time we read the words of Jesus. Is he a liar or is he telling the truth? John 14, 12 through 14. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even what? greater things than these. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. If we read all of John 14, 15, and 16, we would find that Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send another one like me, the Holy Spirit. And he's going to empower. He's going to enable. In fact, I said this about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will counsel you. The Holy Spirit will comfort you. The Holy Spirit will help you. The, the Greek word for the for one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, is one called alongside to help you. And so he's going to empower, and he's going to help you. And, and things I'll pray for every now and then, and you say, well, that's kind of wild. I get it's kind of wild, but Christianity is not tame, but it's good. The Bible says, the Bible, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth and even show you things to come. The Bible says that. And you say, well, that don't fit my little need. It doesn't matter. It, can we, if there is a God, and I'm assuming every one of us in here believe in that, or we would have slept in this morning and stayed in, in a toasty warm bed. If, if, if there's a God then who can create all this with the spoken word, then can we not admit that his intellect is superior to ours? That he probably thinks on different, deeper levels than we do and higher levels than we do? And that his mind is, is amazing. Christianity is not illogical at all. It's brilliant. 
but there is this this pulling together of of the the wisdom and the natural knowledge of God and the Spirit of God. There, there's you watch Jesus as he's walking around, and some people catch a glimpse of what the kingdom's really about. But a lot of people call him rabbi, which is a proper term for him. He's a teacher. But I was thinking about this the other day. Rabbi appeals to our intellectual side, which I'm wired up that way, our intellectual side that wants to package him nicely. But some people got a revelation of who he was. And guess what they called him? Lord. Messiah. Emmanuel. They broke out of that. You're not just a teacher. There's something more. Uh, who do you say that I am? And Simon said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Simon, but our father in heaven. He got a revelation that Jesus is more than a neat little package teacher, which he was awesome at that, but he's bigger than that. So go ahead and you know, let your mind expand, and when you short-circuit in your intellect, that's okay. God's bigger than your intellect. So let's read on. Because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that my Father, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, you may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, if that verse doesn't blow you away, it does me. Because I look at that and go, I'm not there. I, I need, I, I got some growing to do. Here's what I believe about our faith. We shouldn't read verses like that and get discouraged and say, I quit. We should read verses like that and say, I got some growing to do. I got some forward momentum to make. That's cool. I'll just keep growing in the Lord. The word of God. Jesus was always correcting people not to destroy their, their faith, but to move them on to a better, higher level. Well, here's a question I pose to myself, and I'll throw it out there to you. Is the body of Christ, the church, known more for its supernatural power or for its unanswered prayers? Ouch. What, what's that all saying? Uh, uh, say, oh my or oh me, I forget what it was. Um, who cares? I'll move on. Probably when I'm done, it'll come to me and I'll bring it back and you'll go, no, wrap it up. As the body of Christ, we need to reverse this. We need to reverse this. We need to be known for our supernatural power, not for our boatload of unanswered prayers. I believe it's time to believe. Time to reverse that. Time to change our path. See, we have the right as Christians. We have the right as the church. We have the right as the body of Christ. We have the right as sons and daughters of God. We have the right as the people of the kingdom of God to live, to move, to pray, to preach, to prophesy, to proclaim in power. To live in power and to enjoy it. And it's a supernatural power. Now, I will say the big bunch of our lives, I believe, because God calls his people, God calls us ordinary people to live extraordinary lives as we've been empowered and possessed by God. So that's who we are. Now, it doesn't mean every one of our moments will be extraordinary but we are extraordinary people empowered by God. So again, I've already stated it. You know, we've done all we know to do sometimes, prayed our best prayers, confessed, fasted, prayed, you know, done everything we know to do, and just kind of at the end of it all, just kind of crickets, nothing happened, or at least we feel like nothing happened. And so what do we do? What do we do? When we get to that situation where we say, I've done all that I know to do, what do I do? You keep hanging tough and you keep moving forward. It's either that or we say, hey, 
let's just, we'll just start a new message. We'll just start a new sermon series. We'll just start a new sermon series, How to Build Your Doubt and Unbelief. You know, session one will be, we can't do it. Session two will be, if anybody could do it, it wouldn't be us. You know, you know, session three would be, you know, let's not even try. And session four would be, let's quit and go home. That'd be the, that'd be the message. But that's not what God calls us to. He calls us to grow, to move forward, to, to develop ourselves, to believe, to believe, to believe. Jesus is always saying, believe, 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 believe. He's always pushing us forward to believe. Don't doubt, just believe. All things are possible through him. There, there's an interesting story in Mark, 7, or Mark 9. And in Mark 9, there's a, a man with a demon-possessed son. And he brings the son, we've talked about it before, he brings the son to the disciples, and the disciples couldn't do anything about it. And the father rats him out and says, hey, I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't do nothing. And Jesus is like, oh, you unbelieving and perverse generation. Bring the boy to me. He's having a conversation with the father, and he says to the father, he says, do you believe? Well, first of all, the father starts out by saying, if you can do something about this, please do it. And he says, what do you mean if? He said, there's no if here. All things are possible to him who believes. And so he brings the boy to him. It's an interesting story because when the demon, the spirit inside the boy recognizes Jesus, the Bible says that he threw the boy to the ground. He began writhing and foaming at the mouth. Now, here's what I find. I find this, the Bible entertaining. I find it funny, and I just find it funny. Jesus is standing there. The dad brings the boy. The boy starts flip-flopping around on the ground, foaming at the mouth, going crazy. Now, read the story for yourself, and Jesus is just standing there and goes, how long has that been going on? Yeah. Now, and the dad's not too wigged out because he's seen it lots of times, but, but that's not a normal response. I mean, if we were up here praying for somebody and they started flipping around like a fish, foaming at the mouth, making all kinds of signs, half the congregation would leave and the other half would stay just to film it, you know, for YouTube or something, you know, because this is what's going on here. But Jesus and the dad just kind of like, okay, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, this spirit's done that a lot to him. Tries to kill him all the time, throws him in the fire, throws him in the water. And here, the dad and Jesus just seem very, <laughs> be very calm. And so Jesus takes authority over that spirit. The spirit rips at the kid one more time and then comes out and he's totally well. Now, for the record, not everything's demonic. There's physical problems we have, There's, and some things can be demonic, but I just want to make that clear. There's a, a passage in Scripture, and, and I divide the two up. It may be bad Bible teaching, but, but the Bible says that Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were sick, I kind of put that in a category, and healing those who were oppressed of the devil. Now, sometimes oppression of the devil and sickness comes together, and I blame all sickness on the devil. You know, he's the one that started all that in the, in the garden. But sometimes people are just sick. You can cast out anything you want to try to cast out. Somebody's sick, you, it don't do nothing, okay? It might look real spiritual or something, but it does. If you are physically sick, you're physically sick. Now, on the flip side, if somebody's demon-possessed, you can prescribe all the medications you want to. It may numb their body or dull their body, but it's not dealing with the problem. So it's good that we learn to have a spirit of discernment that's actually one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's, it's called uh, discerning of spirits. Uh, sometimes people get that confused. They think, I'm very discerning, so I think I got a spiritual gift. That could be a spiritual gift. But the nine spiritual gifts mentioned, one's a discerning of spirits. So I can tell, 
that's something demonic's going on here versus something is, is physical. So please do not throw everything into the spiritual category. But this instance, the boy had a, a spirit. Now, we, we hear that story, we read that story, we love the story in the pages of the Bible. But again, if it, that event unfolded here today, most of us would be uncomfortable with that, if that event unfolded here today. There's other things that we like about the story, and that is that the dad says what we have often said, you know, help thou my unbelief. And the other part is we can get a little comfort knowing that the disciples failed too. Because have you ever failed? Sure. So you get a little comfort from that. But disciples, they're not stupid. They have learned. Let's see what it says here. It says in Mark 9, 28 and 29, after Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked him privately. See, they'd learned this about Jesus. If you ask me a question in public, you're going to get a public answer. And so they probably thought, we have learned that. <laughs> we'll just wait till we get inside, and then I'll ask you privately. And Jesus said, the disciples said, why couldn't we drive out that spirit? Why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer, some translation prayer and fasting. But I want to pause here for a second, because if you read the story, the topic of the problem is faith and unbelief, faith, doubt, faith, faith, faith. So now, did Jesus change his mind that it wasn't faith? No. I believe he's given us an insight. The prayer helps build faith. Prayer builds a relationship with God. Prayer begins to give us a confidence in God because we start to know God. The Bible says, they who know their God shall be mighty and do exploits. So they begin to know their God. We also know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, a parallel story to this in Matthew is when they ask the question, Jesus replied, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So did these disciples fail miserably? Yes, they did. I have to assume that they tried everything they'd ever seen Jesus try. I assume that they did all that they knew to do, but it didn't work. And Jesus said, because you're faithless and unbelieving. But these disciples who failed miserably, did they give up? No. Did they learn some things for the future? Yes. And I believe they put that all together. And maybe that's why the disciples came to Jesus one day and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Not teach us to cast out demons, not teach us to raise the dead, not teach us to do miracles, not teach us to heal the sick. Teach us to pray. Because I believe they finally said, oh, here is some of the secret sauce that we become people of prayer, and it builds our faith and helps us build a relationship with God where we can trust that he's going to come through for us. So I think these guys got it down because in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are on their way to the temple. Now, I don't know if anybody remembers this, but they're on their way to their temple too. Does anybody remember what they're going to? To prayer. Yeah, the hour of prayer. The three, the three o'clock prayer meetings where they're heading to. And they're on their way to prayer. And this guy who's been sitting there forever is at the gate beautiful. And he's begging alms. And the reason I know they got it is because if they hadn't got it, they would have said what we've talked about before. Don't look at him. Gaze away. We, we, don't, we don't have any money. So he might ask us for prayer. And we know we don't pray well. We know we don't have faith. We know we're unbelievers. Jesus told us all the time, you don't have faith. You don't have faith. You don't have faith. And so why do we want to add one more failure to our resume? 
So let's not pray for the person. Let's just ignore him and go on by. But something's happened. Something's changed. They've learned about Jesus. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. They've, they've been taught and, and transformed by God. And so they say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And they took him by the hand, raised him to his feet. And he began to go jumping and leaping and praising God. These guys who are miserable failures, all of a sudden, got something right. They did something right. So it really doesn't matter how many times you and I have failed or we feel like. And one other thing, too, we all struggle with is, what if I pray for this person and nothing happens? Now, now think about this, because I've experienced and you've experienced, too. We're not even worried that the person won't get healed. We're worried about how we'll look. Well, what if I pray for this person and nothing happens? What will people think about me? Probably nothing any more than they think about you now. They don't think about you. But how about we change our focus off of me and I and put it on the person? See, there's always something in us. And it's, first of all, it starts out positive, then it spirals negative. Because we'll start to do something, we'll think, well, I don't know if I should do that. And then we'll ask, well, what's the worst that could happen? So that sounds pretty positive. Let's do it anyway, because what's the worst that could happen? But then we pause and start thinking of the worst that could happen. And by the time we're done, you know, we've nuked the whole world with this. You know, we've, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. So we say, I'm sure not going to do it now, because I've actually visualized the worst that could happen. What if we said, what's the best that could happen? What, wonder what good could happen if we just tried. If, if Peter and John would have prayed for the man and nothing happened, is anything any worse off? No. So what's the best that might happen? Maybe faith and prayer and the power of the Spirit could come together in a perfect storm and make something happen, and it did. The guy got to his feet. He went jumping and leaping and praising God. They could have said, we'll do what any good Christ follower does after a few failures. We'll just quit. We'll just quit praying. No, we're not going to quit praying, you know, the, the, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. We're not going to quit doing that. We're not going to quit blessing our food. I mean, we're going to still say, you know, God is great. God is good. Lord, we thank you for this food. But we're going to quit really praying. And you know what I mean when I say that. By the way, Darlene was from a family of 15, in case you didn't know that, 15. And so their prayer was not, you know, God is great, God is good, now we thank you for this food. Their family prayer was, um, bless the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, the one who eats the fastest gets the most. That was, that was the prayer. That was the prayer in that family, bless the food. Because there was going to be 17 hands reaching in to get something. So we don't give up. We decide we're going to grow. Regardless of our failures, regardless of this, we just got to start telling ourselves, oh my goodness, I'm a child of God. Jesus made these wonderful promises. Let's just start growing in them. Now you say, but, but what if we make a mistake? You probably will. What if we pray for somebody and nothing happens? It's probably going to happen. Now, again, I'm not trying to build your faith for doubt and unbelief, but I'm just saying, you just keep moving forward. You, you know how many people that I've shared Christ with that I didn't see anything happen? But every now and then, somebody gives their life to Jesus. And one thing that I don't know about is what happens after the event. What does the Holy Spirit do in somebody's heart? Paul left someone sick on a missionary journey, but it doesn't say they didn't get well. 
I assume he prayed for him. I assume he did everything he knew to do. Some people use that and say, well, see, you know, he didn't get healed. We don't know he didn't get healed. We just know he didn't get healed right then. But maybe something got set in motion. And there's something else I've discovered. I actually read this by a guy who researched all of his prayer. He actually chronicled all the people he prayed for and statistically analyzed all of it. And one thing he said was almost 100% of the people feel blessed for being prayed for, even if nothing happens. Somebody loved enough, somebody cared enough, somebody slowed down long enough to actually pray for me. And so he decided, that's actually the worst thing that ever happened. They felt wonderful and loved. That's a pretty good thing. So I want us to pray. And we're on the topic of believing for miracles. Now, I, I want to share this with you before, before we pray. So back up. Don't, get, don't leave yet. Uh, we're going to have communion. But on this journey of miracles, there, it began by, by Martha saying, you know, why don't we teach on believing God for miracles? That's a great idea. And then Lee Strobel wrote a book called uh, The Case for Miracles. Now, if you know Lee Strobel, he is a guy who wrote the book Case for Christ. He was an atheist. His silly wife fooled around and got born again. And so he's going to crush that. And he was an atheist and a, an investigative journalist. And so he says, I'm going to use reason and logic, and I'm going to crush this whole concept of, of, of Christianity. And you can take that off the board because uh, people are, are looking there. And, and, and so they're trying to hang on my every word and look up there. Okay. So he, he wrote this book because after two years of intense searching and digging, he came to the conclusion Jesus rose from the dead. He's real. And he gave his life to Jesus. Now, he wrote this book, A Case for Miracles. And if you get the book, you need to read it all the way through, not just halfway, because he's an investigative journalist. So he says, I've got to begin by interviewing those who don't believe in miracles, who didn't get miracles, who have even walked away from their faith because of the lack of miracles. And he interviews this great guy. The guy's got a good spirit, and it's really good. But the guy brings up a lot of good points, which, by the way, people bring up good points to me who aren't Christians. That's okay. But then he digs deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into all of this. And he tells a story. And by the way, when he tells a story, he's an investigative reporter, so he doesn't tell a story like this. Well, my grandma said one time that her cousin's aunt's neighbor's friend had this happen to her. That don't float with Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel, by the way, uh, is not from a charismatic Pentecostal background. And that actually, I believe, is a benefit to the book. Here, here's why. I'm not anti-Pentecostal charismatic. I'm just saying that if you wrote a book about miracles and you're a noted Pentecostal charismatic, I think half of Christianity would just say, ah, that's just, you know, those wild Pentecostals. He's just an investigative journalist who digs deep and looks for truth and is willing to go wherever the truth leads him. And so he digs into this and he tells the story. So what do you think how big God is? He tells the story of this medical missionary. She's been on the field on the equator in Africa, and it's just a poor, impoverished huts kind of villages around. And a lady has prematurely given birth and died in childbirth. And so there's this premature baby and a two-year-old daughter left behind. And so they're in there. They're warming up this hot water bottle village ladies are to keep the baby warm. You know, the babies, they always put them in some kind of warming thing, especially premature. And so we got to keep this baby warm. And nightfall's getting ready to come. And they 
burst the water bottle. And it's the only water bottle around. And so she, the medical missionary, lady doctor, calls some little kids over to pray. And if I remember the story correctly, it was actually her daughter who said, Lord, we pray that you will send us a hot water bottle today and send a baby doll for her sister so she'll know that she's loved. Okay. Well, now mama's got a problem because she can't believe that's going to happen. Now, let me say, does she believe it can happen? Sure. Does she believe it's going to happen? Uh-uh. And so she said, her mind's racing. Do I even say amen to that prayer? I've been on the field for four years. You know how many boxes she received in four years? Zero. Like an hour later, this truck pulls in with like this 30-pound box and delivers it, and they start looking through this normal stuff, and she reaches in there, and she feels something rubbery. She's, one reason she can't believe in the prayer, we're on the equator. People don't send you hot water bottles. They don't send you winter coats. They don't send you heating blankets. So they're not going to send this. And she feels that and brings it out. And says, oh, my goodness. And then the little girl says, look in there for that baby doll because you know if he sent the hot water bottle, he sent the baby doll. And she reaches in there, and there's a baby doll in there. Now, this is what's incredible. That package was sent five weeks before that prayer was prayed. Now, I'm going to show you how big God is. I'm very serious about this. Because some people say, well, it's too late now. You know, it's already. It ain't over until God says it's over. (laughs) And so this girl prayed. But God's so big, he's not lined up with time like you and I are lined up with time. So God sees the faith-filled prayer of a little girl five weeks before. Maybe, maybe millions of years before. And, he, and this elder in the church said, I felt this crazy urging to go get a hot water bottle to put in that box. And so he finally quit biting it, and he got a hot water bottle. And then a little girl in the congregation put a baby doll in there. And so God is so incredibly big that he can answer a prayer. Again, what does our logic say? Whatever's in that box is in that box. It was sent five weeks ago. You just got to take whatever's in there. No. God heard the prayer in advance of a, of a little girl who walked in faith. Now, do you think that missionary doctor left with a little more faith in her spirit that day? I bet she did, too. That's what I want to boy up in our hearts. Like, oh, my goodness, nothing is too difficult for God. Nothing is too big for God. It ain't over till he says it's over, and we got to keep believing it, keep trusting God.